Okay, well, hello everybody, and thank you for joining us for our 26th episode of Spurbs Herbs. Today, a different thing again. We always do something a little different, and today we're going to be looking at woo woo fong scolopendra or centipede. So this is a very interesting quote-unquote herb. So let's get into it. Let's see what we have going on today. So today's episode, we're going to talk about an interesting herb in Chinese medicine. This is our first insect used for medicinal purposes. They do this a lot for Chinese medicine. This isn't the only one, but there are quite a few of them. So there we go. Not necessarily one of the most commonly used medicinals. It can be very useful in certain serious conditions. But before we get to that, let's talk some more about wind and specifically about internal wind because that's what we're dealing with here with this herb medicinal. So let's get going. Before we do, just want to remind you, we are sponsored by ourselves at this point. If you are an acupuncturist, this podcast, as well as others, are approved for California Acupuncture Board Continuing Education Units and National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine Professional Development Activities at a reasonable cost. Please check us out at www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. That's council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, integrativemedicinecouncil.org. I have also written a couple of books. Uh, first is Integrative Pharmacology, Combining Modern Pharmacology with Integrative Medicine, which is actually usually I use as a reference in almost everything I do. So it's a very useful uh, text and uh, reference book. And my other book is Playing the Game, a step-by-step -step guide to accepting insurance as an acupuncturist. It's been a few years since I've written that, but it's still very relevant and still very useful for getting into billing for beginners and, and just to get you into that idea of billing insurance as an acupuncturist. Both of these are available at the shop on www.spurbsherbs.com. The name of the, the podcast, spurbsherbs.com, S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S. -E and I am your guide, as always, Dr. Greg Sperber. That's where the Spurbs come from, comes from. Let's talk about wind. So, wind. We have talked about the Chinese concept of wind in several of our shows so far, including episode 7 on warm the exterior herbs and 17 on cool the exterior herbs. Both of those took a look at external wind and how it can allow an external pathogen to invade into the body. Uh, and those herbs are particularly, those are the main herbs we use to deal with deal with a cold or when an external pathogen enters the body. Today's medicinal deals with another type of wind, internal wind. So we consider that exterior wind or external wind. And now we're going to go with, we're going to look at what happens, um, what, what, what causes and what is internal wind. So let's discuss this type of wind, what it is, what it does, and how we can treat it. So internal wind, or in, in Chinese, ne feng, is considered, again, this is my first time doing Chinese, so I should always uh, warn people. I, I do, I have studied many years of Chinese. I still suck at pronouncing it, so I apologize. The other thing is I'm going to be pronouncing Latin, where I've had even much less uh, background in, so please be aware of my pronunciations. may not be exactly on, on target, but I try hard. So <laughs> internal wind or nefong is considered an internal pathogenic factor. So in Chinese medicine, we have these pathogenic factors, and, and there's not a whole bunch of them, and those are really, you know, something that causes disease. So these are e either internally generated or come from an external pathogen pathogenic factor transforming into an inner internal one as it penetrates into the interior of the body. So there's two ways we get nefong or internal wind. One is it's generated from within, and the other one is it's an external factor that was brought in and goes internal and then, and then transforms into internal wind at that point. It sounds a little esoteric, but it, it really does make a lot of sense within the, the philosophy and worldview and con context of Chinese medicine. A pathogenic factor, or shei qi, 
is a very broad term in Chinese medicine. It basically means anything that can cause a disease. And, and there's only a handful. There's, there's a, you know, about a dozen or so um, of pathogenic, various pathogenic factors. And typical internal pathogenic factors include phlegm, um, blood stasis, so when blood isn't moving, and our topic of today, internal wind, of course. Internal wind, so as we get into the internal wind, the main manifestation of internal wind is involuntary movements. In fact, uh, Machiosha, uh, Giovanni Machiosha, who was one of my, my teachers and colleagues, um, I, I worked next to him uh, for many years, a really nice guy. Um, he, he, he wrote kind of the foundational text in, in, in uh, Chinese medicine, or one of the foundational texts in Chinese medicine uh, in English. Uh, and so he said, if there is involuntary movements, always think wind. Um, so he kind of put that on the opposite thing. Involuntary movements means wind, and, and in this case, really internal wind. So the main manifestations of these involuntary movements can include tremors, ticks, and some similar symptoms such as severe dizziness, vertigo, and numbness. If you're, if you're looking at the difference between dizziness and vertigo, I, I've like explored that difference uh, for a lot of my career, uh, in, in Chinese medicine, I was, I was taught like dizziness is when you're, sp when you're spinning and vertigo is when the room spins around you. When I got into Western medicine, no one had heard that distinction. So I don't, I don't think that's a, a valid distinction, but at least in Chinese medicine, I was told this, I haven't found it in writing that that's the difference between dizziness and vertigo. But generally in Western medicine, we just say dizziness and vertigo. We don't usually separate those two if we're, we're going to do that. Numbness also is, is a, a cardinal sign of, of internal wind. In severe cases, there are convulsions. So again, convulsions, involuntary movements. That makes sense. Unconsciousness. I love this. Opisthotonosis. No, excuse me. Opisthotonos. Opisthotonos. There we go. Um, this is generally considered a very serious sign. And what it is, it's a spasm of the muscles causing backward arching of the head, neck, and spine. And in severe tetanus, some kinds of meningitis and strychnine poisoning can do this. So it's like this arching and you can't control it. And you've probably seen it where, um, you know, someone's like, uh, they usually do it like as they're, they're giving paddles and the, and, the, and the body arches up. That's opisthotonos. So that's, that's what we're talking about, if you've seen that in a, in a movie or a TV show or something along those lines. Hemiplegia, which is uh, the, the inability to move half of your body, uh, and deviation of the mouth. So the mouth looks a little abbreviated. If some of these sound like they may be present in a cerebrovascular accident or stroke, a cerebrovascular accident is the technical term for a stroke, um, that is because we consider an internal wind to be a major component of a stroke, and a stroke in Chinese is called wind stroke or zhongfeng. And so um, that is very similar at the extreme levels of internal wind. If you have a lot of internal wind, it can, it can uh, cause a stroke according to Chinese medicine. Or vice versa, a stroke is caused by internal wind. While internal wind or nefeng, oh, excuse me, <laughs> while internal wind can come from several different conditions, it is always related to liver disharmony. Now, remember in Chinese medicine, we have a whole bunch of different organs, uh, and these organs kind of rule over certain aspects of the body. And so in this case, what we're talking about is liver involvement. And liver does, it has a lot of very interesting functions, which I'm sure we'll get into at some point in one of our superb herbs, but we haven't yet. Extreme heat can cause liver wind. This occurs in the late stages of febrile diseases, febrile meaning uh, feverish diseases, so high fever, uh, late stages of febrile diseases when the heat enters the blood and generates wind. So blood, we're going to find out, plays a big role in this wind, uh, according to Chinese medicine. So signs and symptoms of this include high fever, delirium. Delirium is when you have an acute condition of not tracking, not being in reality. Um, so it can include hallucinations and just wrong thoughts and things along those lines. Convulsion, coma, here's that opisthotonos again, so that, that arching. A deep red tongue that is stiff and with a dry yellow coating and a wiry and rapid 
pulse. So uh, in, in Chinese medicine, we look at the tongue quite a bit. Uh, I like to call the tongue our, our CT scan. Uh, in Chinese medicine, by looking at the tongue, we can tell what's going on in the body. And then we also take a feel of the pulse. The, the pulse is what I call our MRI scan of Chinese medicine. By feeling the pulse, we can tell what, again, even I feel in an even stronger way what's going on in the, in the body. But sometimes it's a little different, just like a CT is a little different than an MRI. Uh, and so we, we, we do the pulse. I, we, we take the pulse at three different positions on each hand at three different depths. So there's 18 different pulse positions. And we're looking for about 29 different pulse qualities as we're doing that. And, and when we get good at it, we can really tell a lot about what's going on in, in the body. And so this wiry pulse is something that is a very common sort of thing that we see when the, and it, it generally indicates pain or more often liver involvement. And so the liver is, is a big issue. So when you see liver, it, you often think about a wiry type pulse and rapid indicates heat. And so in this case, that's the feverish that's going on here. So liver yang rising can cause liver wind in long-term cases. So that's one type of internal wind was that febrile that, that uh, the, the, uh, the extreme heat causing liver wind. And now a different way you can get liver wind is through liver yang rising. And again, we've kind of talked around yin and yang. Um, think of yang as the rising heat um, moving aspect of the body. And we're, we're going to get into yin and yang soon. In fact, on our next episode, we're going to start talking about yin. And of course, you can't talk about yin without talking about yang a little bit. So we're going to start that process on our next episode. Hint, hint. So liver yang rising can cause liver wind in long-term cases. This can result in severe dizziness, vertigo, headache, tremors, tics, hypertension, dry throat, blurred vision, tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears, numbness and tingling, poor memory, and irritability. So the liver, we say that the, the emotion of the liver is, is anger, so that will sometimes mas manifest as irritability. And you see there's a lot of stuff that's in the head, so dizziness, vertigo, headache, um, uh, dry throat, blurred vision, tinnitus, which is the ears, all is in the head because liver yang rises and it rises to the head, so that makes sense. And there are three main ways that liver wrong rising can occur, either from liver yin vacuity, liver and kidney yin vacuity, or from liver blood vacuity. So we're going to get into all three of these different ways that this can happen. Liver yang rising from liver yin vacuity can also have signs and symptoms of dry eyes, in addition to what we just talked about, dry eyes, normal colored tongue with no coat, and a thin, wiry pulse. So liver yang rising from liver and kidney yin vacuity. By the way, the reason why liver yin is involved in liver yang because we say that yin anchors the yang. It holds it down so that it doesn't float up, which is its natural tendency. So when you have a deficiency of yin, then the yang can float up, and that causes, that can then become liver yang rising if it's liver yin. That is uh, deficient. Uh, and, and this word we're using, so liver yang rising from liver and kidney yin, vacuity. This word vacuity is an interesting word because when I was in school, we always said deficiency. Uh, and then it, you know, there's some standardization happened in, in the field and some people agree with it and some people don't. So you still will hear deficiency quite a bit. But the more standard term is supposed to be vacuous or vacuity rather than deficiency. Uh, and, and I like that word. I think it's fine. I think deficiency, because I learned it first, means more to me, but I, I, I see the rationale for vacuity, so I, I try to use it. But they're, they're, they're often used in, you know, whatever you prefer, though more technically at this point in our field in the, is probably vacuity is probably a little bit more technically correct, technically correct. So liver yang rising from liver and kidney and vacuity can have similar symptoms with the addition of backache because once the kidney is involved, we say that um, kidney deficiency can cause backache. So that makes sense. Scan a urination because the kidneys are in control of, uh, you know, urine production and night sweats. So um, with the kidney involvement, we have a little bit more generalized yin deficiency and, and one of the cardinal signs of yin deficiency is night sweats. So that makes sense as well. And finally, the third way liver yang rising can occur is from liver blood vacuity. So the, the blood is, is, there's not enough blood, according to Chinese medicine. Again, 
from a Western point of view, this may sound a little bit odd, but it makes sense from a, a Chinese medical point of view. And unfortunately, all I can tell you, you know, having gone through this from a very Western background, uh, even though I was learning martial arts and learning a lot of this stuff, going into Chinese medical school, there's all these really interesting concepts that don't make a ton of sense from a Western point of view. But what happens is, you know, I, I just said, I'm just going to learn it. And I did. And it makes sense. Eventually, all the pieces kind of fit together. You just kind of have to to trust that it will do that. And so it does. So it just kind of, it, it makes a lot of sense once you have the big picture of Chinese medicine. But when you're just getting pieces, it sounds really weird and esoteric. So just bear with me with that stuff. So liver blood vacuity has the basic sign and symptoms of liver yang rising with the addition of insomnia. Uh, you know, blood deficiency can cause insomnia. A pale and thin tongue, there's not enough blood to make the tongue nice and red and full and a thin, wiry pulse, so that it is, uh, that wiry is that liver again, and thinness means there's not as much blood in it. So there you go. All right. And then finally, we have liver fire, uh, uh, stepping away from liver yang rising, causing liver wind. Now we get into another category. Liver fire can cause liver wind. So signs and symptoms of this include irritability. Again, that liver is irritable. Now, Heat makes people irritable as well. So liver fire is like blazing heat. And so there's lots of irritability, including outbursts of anger, sudden onset of tinnitus or deafness. So like the fire flares up into the head. And so you, you lose your, your hearing. Red face and eyes. Thirst. It's lots of heat. So you're thirsty. A bitter taste in the mouth is one dream disturbed sleep he can can disturb your sleep with dreams constipation with dry stool so it dries out the stool so you can't you can't defecate us as easily as you normally would dark yellow urine concentrated because of the heat again nosebleeds one of the things we see in Chinese medicine heat can cause reckless blood and so one of the ways you will see that is in bruising um, or in this case nosebleeds and also we're seeing here spitting up of blood. So if you're if you're coughing and you spit up a little bit of blood, uh, something along those lines, or even vomiting blood. So any sort of reckless blood would be this. We would expect some of that potentially in this liver fire causing liver wind. And then the tongue is is red with redder sides and a dry yellow coat. So red is 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 obviously from the heat, and uh, yellow is the color of heat. So a lot of things will be yellow uh, when there's a lot of heat, and it's dry because all the fluids have been burned off. And a wiry, again, that liver involvement, rapid pulse, again, that rapid is heat. And we saw that before with the, the heat from the febrile disease causing this. This is even more heat than that, and it's slightly different, but it's in the ballpark of that, so similar. So vacuity of liver blood or yin can cause liver wind liver wind due to the deficiency of the blood creating an empty space in the blood vessels which is filled by internal wind. Now, of course, this isn't actually what's happening. It's a nice picture, though, isn't it, that you have this blood deficiency in your vessels. There's space in the vessels, and it gets filled up with this internal wind. I mean, in, 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 a, in, a, in a more um, modern sense, and both from a Chinese and from a Western point of view, I mean, you can think of this as sort of a coagulative issue like there's something going on with the coagulation of blood and and because often this sort of acuity can lead to that stroke that we were talking about uh, later so I, I i think of it in those kind of terms but i might be crossing a couple boundaries with the chinese medicine bleeding into western medicine which i try not to do but sometimes it can help me understand what's going on so signs and symptoms of this condition include numbness dizziness so again we're seeing similar signs and symptoms Blurred vision, facial tics, slight tremors, not massive, but slight tremors. Poor memory. We say the blood stores the, the memory, especially the short-term memory. So if you have a blood deficiency, then you're, you're going to have um, poor memory. Now, we said liver, the vacuity of liver, blood, or yin, now they're on a continuum generally. So if you have blood deficiency and you don't treat it, it will eventually become yin deficiency. So that's why we're kind of combining these two a little bit that they're actually on a spectrum. So, uh, so poor memory, insomnia, again, that blood deficiency can cause that. Scanty periods, uh, you have to have enough blood to have a proper period. 
a pale, yeah, not enough bread, not enough blood to put red in the tongue, and thin tongue, not enough blood to pump it up, and a thin, wiry pulse, again, thin because there's not enough blood to fill the pulse, and wiry because it's, it's liver-related. So those are the, the main ways you can get internal wind. With the exception of the febrile diseases that we talked about first, internal wind is much more likely in the elderly. So for example, some of the, the manifestations of this could be Parkinson's disease. If you're not familiar with Parkinson's, Parkinson's is the way it's, it was said, it's now more proper to say Parkinson's disease rather than Parkinson's disease. And um, that involves uh, trembles, you know, with uh, tremors, of the hand pill rolling tremors is what they call them. It's most common, uh, and and they have uh, gait issues. It's called a fenestrated gait, so it's it's like a little bit shaky as they as they walk, and it's very specific, small, short steps, things along those lines. All those are manifestations of internal wind. So Parkinson's has a lot of internal wind, and of course, as we mentioned, wind stroke, which would be uh, a, a, a CVA or a cerebrovascular accident or stroke in, in modern Western terms. And there's others, of course, that any kind of tremor, we're starting to think about what's going on with internal wind. So there we go. So treatment of internal wind is similar to other Chinese medical conditions, primarily acupuncture and herbs, though other modalities can be used. There are lots of other modalities. Again, we'll probably talk about, we talked about moxibustion as a modality on our episode when we talked about IEA. So that's one of the modalities that certainly is, it can be very useful in, in treating this as well, and there's others. In the case of stroke or wind stroke, scalp acupuncture is often used. So I, I like to think of scalp acupuncture as kind of local acupuncture, it treats the brain. And if you look at the points in scalp acupuncture, right under those points are exactly the areas of the brain that would cover those things. So it makes a lot of sense. And so there you go. And all of this leads us to today's herb which is used for internal wind, especially initial acute signs and symptoms of internal wind. So, without further ado, let's get into Wugong. Wugong. So it's the, it's the uh, um, second tone and the first tone of, of that, if you know Chinese. So, okay. So, Wugong, uh, centipede is, uh, we're going to talk about the species in just a minute, it comes from the family Scolopendridae, Scolopendridae, which is very close to the species. So the genus here is Scolopendra. So the family is Scolopendridae, the, the genus is Scolopendra, and the species that we're actually talking about is Subspinipes. Okay, that's my best guess at how to pronounce that, Subspinipes. Might be Subspinipes, uh, depending on how you do it. And specifically, they have the subspecies Mutilans L. Koch, uh, K-O-C-H. And this very specific species is actually known as Xiaoji Ju Wugong. So it's very specific, Xiaoji Ju Wugong. And we're going to find out there may not be any subspecies here. So this is an interesting thing. So keep this in mind as we go. So other species include that can be sold and used as wugong includes Scolopendra subsnipes japonica, which is Rurben ji wugong, Scolopendra subsnipes mutidens, which is duo ji ju wugong, and Scolopendra dehani hasher wugong. Now, this last one is interesting because it, it takes us out of the subspinipes and into the dehani species, so that is a different species. Of, of Scolopendra. So, uh, and again, it's not considered as strong as, uh, as the subspinipes. So, all right. So the medicinal part of this is the whole insect. We're actually going to talk a little bit about what parts of the insect in just a little bit. Uh, the, the English translation of this is, is really just, it says here, um, shell mother from Sichuan. That is from a previous uh, uh, thing. So it's not actually this one. Um, so the English translation really is Scolopendra. That is the, the English translation of Wugong is sort of Scolopendra. Other names for this include centipede, which we've mentioned. In Japanese, it's Gosho. Again, I don't know how to pronounce Gosho, uh, Japanese or Korean, where it's Ogong. Uh, in Chinese, some other uh, names for this are Baijiao, Baizu Zhong, Tianlong, Chirzu Wugong, Chuanzu, 
Baizu. And actually, we're going to talk about these actually mean slightly different things. It all refers to Ugon, but it actually means slightly different preparations and aspects of it. And we're going to talk about a lot of these as we go through this, this episode here. And finally, all the major sources that we looked at, I, I have three major sources that I look at. Uh, the first is, is Bensky and, and his team, uh, Materia Medica, third edition. And we have uh, Chen and Chen, John Chen and Tina Chen, who uh, uh, wrote a really good book on Chinese herbs as well. Uh, so those two are really good. And, then, um, and, I, and I, I know John and, and um, I have met Tina. Um, and then we have uh, Brand and Wiseman. Eric Brand uh, is, is a friend of mine. I've, I've, I've had lunch with him. He's a nice guy, a really nice guy. And so that is called the Concise uh, Materia Medica. It's a really nice book as well. So I use all three of those as sources, and you'll see them repeatedly used as sources here. And what's interesting is they often say different things or say the same thing in slightly different translations, and so we can kind of get a good, interesting idea of what's going on with them. What's interesting here is they all agree on the dosage. So that's not always the case. So it's, it's interesting when we see such an agreement between all three books. So they say the dosage is one to three grams in decoctions, which are, are, are water extractions, uh, boiling extractions, and 0.6 to one gram when powdered and swallowed directly. So in general, one to three grams is a low dose. Uh, most of our herbs are in the six to nine grams per dose category, so this is a considered a lot less than our normal uh, uh, dosages, and that just reflects some of the, the concerns about this herb, which we're going to get into. So, okay. But first, let's talk about the family, the Scolopendridae family, and this is a family of large centipedes. These are large. Nearly all species in this family have 21 pairs of legs, and four ocelli, or simple eyes, on each side of the head. Now, you're going to find out in just a few minutes that a good quality wugong is going to have 22 sections, but I just said it has 21 pairs of legs. It's true, 21 pairs of legs and then the head. So that's the 22nd uh, section. So that is 20 sec 21 pairs of legs. Uh, millipede, if you're not familiar, means 1,000 feet. So that makes sense, lots of legs. Uh, this, this genus, Scolopendra, which is the genus that we're, we're talking about here, has many species. They are venomous. They are predatory. They are basically meat eaters. I heard um, some of the, the things that they will attack mammals, uh, like mice, and will attack snakes. And these guys are really <laughs> vicious. Uh, the, sub, the species subspinipes, which again is what we're talking about Wugong mostly, is currently not believed to have any subspecies with most being elevated to their own species. So sometimes w what I find in, in our herbal research and our herbal books is it lags a bit of like the cutting edge of, of, of the etymology of, you know, how, how everything is classified. And so uh, it's not surprising to me that we will talk about subspecies when they may or may not exist anymore. Um, so, uh, but there are coloration differences, there are differences. And so those supposedly play a role in the effectiveness of this, of this medicinal. So this, this subspinipes species of Scolopendra can be as large as 20 centimeters or about eight inches. That's long. I mean, like if you woke up and saw this crawling on you, I, I don't know about you, I'd be freaking out a little bit. And they are venomous, so there's a good reason to be freaking out. Generally, they do not, the venom may hurt, but it doesn't really affect humans that much. There was one reported case that I came across of a seven-year-old girl who got um, bitten in the head and she died from it. That was the only known case of dying from from uh, a millipede, from a scolopendra bite. So here's the interesting thing. So up to eight inches and it can live 10 years or more. So these are actually Really, for those who are, are interested in collecting such things, these are, I mean, 10 years. I mean, that's something to collect and have around for a while. So they're, they're, they're well um, sought after for that sort of thing. And, and the nice thing is, to get into it, but they're, they, they are widely distributed around the world. Uh, we don't know if that's because they uh, were 
they came up around the world or whether they were introduced as invasive species in certain parts of the world, lots of parts of the world. But you can find this in, in all over Asia, in the southern United States, in the Caribbean, in other areas, all over the place. So very widespread. All right, so what are these according to Chinese medicine? So the category that they're in, they're all very similar. All the books say something very similar, but with slightly di slight differences, I think, due to translational differences. But I think we learned something by going over this, some of these translational differences. So <coughs> Bensky says, and his team says, it is a substance that extinguished wind and stopped tremor. So there's that wind. And we didn't say internal wind, but that's what really what we're talking about, and stop tremors. Chen and Chen say it's a liver calming. Makes sense. We said all wind affects the livers. Liver calming and wind extinguishing herb. And Brand and Wiseman say something very similar, saying it's a wind extinguishing tetany relieving medicinal. So tetany is sort of a it's a it's a tight convulsion sort of thing. It's like your muscles are really um, massively um, you know, clamped down, and so there's a there's a tetany shaking to it. So that's tetany, which essentially appears like a tremor. So it's a more technical word for that. So it makes sense. So all those kind of say similar things, but slightly differently. Bensky uh, et al. says it's acrid, which means spicy, warm, so it's a warming herb, and toxic. It's a toxic herb. It makes sense that it has this venom. It could be toxic to humans. And so we have a bunch of herbs that we consider toxic. That's part of the reason why we have such a low dose for this herb. Uh, and we're going to get into, um, and, and one of the things that we're going to find that it treats is toxin. And we have this whole concept in Chinese medicine that toxin treats toxin. And so it makes sense that this might be a bit toxic. And it enters the liver. Of course, it makes perfect sense because everything we're talking about is liver. It's the only organ it enters. It's very specific, so liver. And Brandon Wiseman agrees completely with this assessment. And Chen Chen, however, doesn't say it is toxic in its, in its attributes, but does later on describe it as such in a note. So I, I think they agree that it's toxic as well, even if they don't call it out as, as part of the attributes of it. So usually we, we talk about the tastes and properties of an herb. So the tastes include spicy or salty or or um, bland or whatever it is. And then we have the properties which include the temperature, so the warm and the cold and the, and the neutral. And then we add in toxic when it needs to be in there sort of thing and it kind of falls into that. So again, Bensky and his team in Chen Chen both agree the original source of this herb is the Shendong Ben Sao Jing or the Divine Husbandsman's Classic of the Materia Medica from the second century CE. And we talk about this a lot because a lot of herbs come from it. Th that is the first existing text on individual herbs. And so the fact that this is in that text means a lot because it means that it was one of the first herbs known, basically, or at least written about. There's, you know, the herbs were known for probably a thousand or two thousand years at least before it was written down into this uh, divine husbandsman's classic of the Materia Medica. But that is the first existing book we have on individual herbs. So what is good quality wugong? According to Bensky, good quality is large, unfragmented, clean, with a red head and reddish brown legs. The ventral part or the internal, the, the, the under part should be dry and shriveled. Specimens with Reddish brown legs were called red leg scolopendra or churzu wugong. Remember, that was one of the alternative names that we talked about earlier. Some say larger specimens are best. These are called large scolopendra or da wugong. Centipedes from Sichuan province are considered superior and are called Sichuan scolopendra or chuan wugong or chuang gong or Sichuan legs or chuanzu. So zu means legs. Chuan, of course, is just shortening of Sichuan, si, um, sort of. So that's where Chuanzu comes from. Again, all these were kind of alternative names that we talked about already for Wugong, and here's what they mean. Zhao and Chen, uh, which is a whole book really all about how to determine what is good quality and poor quality herbs. So they have an entry on this, and they say superior grade consists of dry, long strips that are intact with a black back and a yellow shrunken abdomen. They say there are 22 segments 
with a slightly fishy and distinctive unpleasant odor that irritates the nose. So if you've ever, you know, we used to have uh, in my school, and I, I used to work at the school for many years, um, a jar of this on, on the shelf. And when you'd open it up, you'd just get this whiff, and it would, it would kind of irritate your nose a little bit. It was very interesting. So when I read that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that smell. All right, so what are its Chinese medical actions? So according to Bensky, Wugong has several Chinese medical actions, including extinguishes wind and stops spasms and convulsions, attacks toxin and dissipates nodules, and unblocks the collaterals and stops pain. So these are all the different aspects of what we have here. So extinguishes wind, Makes sense. It's part of that category. Stop spasm again, part of that category, and convulsions. Makes sense. Attacks toxin again. That's that toxin attacking toxin sort of thing. So it can it can deal with toxins that go around. It dissipates nodules, so it actually can be used in skin conditions. We're going to see that coming up as well. So that's so it can be applied topically for skin conditions uh, as well. Unblocks the collaterals. So the collaterals are like we we talk about the. 12 main meridians, or 14 if you consider Ren and Do, main meridians. And then collaterals are small, little ones. Think of them as like we have our main arteries, and then we have little ar arteries coming off of those. Those are kind of the collaterals that we're talking about here in terms of qi and meridians. So that's what Bensky says. Chen Chen is very similar. Um, instead of saying stopping spasms, it says stops tremors. Okay, I think that's exactly the same. Uh, it eliminates toxins rather than attacks toxins. It disperses toxic fire nodes, so it's a little bit more specific than dissipates nodules. That's under Bensky, but still think it's all in the exact same thing. And opens channels rather than unblocks the collateral. So again, little changes based on, on translation issues, uh, but I think generally it says the same thing. As we go into Brandon uh, Wiseman, very similar. Uh, it says it extinguishes wind and checks tetany rather than stops spasms. It attacks toxins and disperses binds. So rather than saying dissipates nodule, it disperses binds. So a nodule is kind of a binding of chi, blood, phlegm, whatever it is. So makes it, again, that makes sense, just a slightly different view of it. And instead of saying unblocking the collaterals, it says frees the network vessels and relieves pain. So they all say it relieves pain. But um, how they kind of check these network vessels is a, probably a little bit more correct, more technical term than the collateral vessels. That makes sense. They also state that, state that there is an additional use for treating stubborn cases of medial or hemilateral, so one-sided headache, either standard headache or a migraine, and often with chuanche or scorpion. So we're going to, this is the first time we're talking about chuanche scorpion. We're going to talk about it a lot. This is actually commonly talked with together with the centipede, so specific type of scorpion. So keep that in mind, Chuanxie or scorpion. And then Zhao and Chen, that book on quality, also has some uses. And it, again, very similar, almost exactly the same. In fact, it is the same as, as Brandon Wiseman, so you know, I don't need to go over it. Um, instead of saying um, checks tetany, it says settles tetany in, in, in parentheses, convulsions. Other than that, it's exactly the same as what Brandon Wiseman just said. Very similar. Okay, and then we have, as we mentioned, it was in the Shandong and Ben Sajing of the Divine Farmers of Materia Medica, and I do have a translation of that, and this is what it says. It's really interesting what it says, because remember, the Divine Farmers is their first book, and it actually adds in a lot of what we call magic into uh, Chinese medicine. I, I find this whole stream of things fascinating. It was up until like the 9th or 10th century CE, there was a whole division in the in the imperial university of uh, that was about magic in in terms of Chinese medicine. So there's a lot of this magical thinking, not modern day, but back in the day. And so it says it is an inferior grade medicinal. So they they will um, this book classifies as inferior, middle, and superior grade. And inferior grade should only be used for short periods of time when necessary. So it makes perfect sense that a toxic herb would be considered an inferior grade medicinal. Is acronym warm, so it, it fits in with what we said earlier. It mainly treats demonic influx, goo toxins. So I'm not sure goo can, can mean ghost. I, I'm not sure this is the same goo. There's a lot of different words that have same pronunciation, especially without tone marks. I can't tell, and I don't have the actual character. So I don't know if this is the same character 
as a ghost, but goo does mean ghost. It goo also, I think, maybe a type of toxin as well. So I want to put that in there, but makes a little bit of sense here. So treats demonic influx goo toxins and snake worm and fish toxins. So one of the, the uses for this is actually to treat a snake bite. So that's kind of an interesting aspect of it. It kills demonic matters. Interesting. So anything involving demons. Treats old essence. So again, that's the elderly. With Essence is another of the uh, vital substances. And so um, interesting. Treats old essence and warm malaria and removes the three kinds of worms. So I guess if you have a parasitic worm infection, this could be a good uh, herb for that. Again, this is old. This is not how it's used modern day, um, but I always loved <laughs> looking at how it was used originally. A modern footnote says it is a good medicinal for expelling wind, killing parasites, and inducing abortion. So that's an interesting thing, not found in the, in the modern books, but something to think about. Western uses for this. While there are some very interesting scientific ar articles on research involving centipede venom, there were no obvious indications of its use as a useful medicinal by natural healers from the West. Uh, again, that might be because it was not widespread, uh, because it could have been introduced later on. I don't know. Um, but also, I, I think uh, Western herbalists and Western healers don't use animal products as often as Chinese uh, and, and uh, Asian healers will. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about its venom in a, in a little bit, some of the specific sort of con uh, contents, but its venom consists of over 500 proteins and peptides with the active components appearing to be neurotoxic, so they, they, uh, they damage the nerves. The venom in our medicinal appears to act on ion channels to rapidly paralyze the subject. Again, us being as large as we are, it doesn't really affect us, uh, but small animals it can certainly affect. All right. Let's talk about the commentary on this. So in Bensky's book, where a lot of this comes from, but also there's commentary in Chen Chen, often in the, in the monographs on these, on these herbs, they will have like comments uh, about how to use the herb and specific aspects of herbs. So the commentary in Bensky discusses some interesting aspects of this herb. And here's a quote. By nature, it excels at traveling and piercing with a strong ability to track down wind and stop spasms and convulsions. It is thus an important substance for extinguishing wind and settling spasms in disorders such as childhood convulsions and deviation of the mouth and eyes due to wind stroke and tetanus. It also attacks toxicity and disperses clumping and is thus used in the treatment of scrofula. So scrofula is nodules um, from tuberculosis, uh, phlegm nodules, toxic sores, wind lichen simplex, which is a skin condition, and poisonous snake bite. It can be ingested or applied topically in these cases. It goes on and does a quote from the Grammateria Medica. Translate, translate a quote from the Grammateria Medica and explains that it can control snakes. So it also can check wind. It is a medicinal substance of the leg terminal yin channel. That really is a complicated way of saying liver channel. Hence, the patterns it governs all belong to the leg terminal yin. Note that straight direction from Yang Renjai states, this is another quote within this quote, Scolopendra wugong is toxic and can only be used for violent, sudden wind chi. Wind chi that is violent and sudden cannot be easily stopped without the ability of Scolopendra wugong to check and to capture it. This is the merit in matching illness and remedy. If the dose proves excessive, use ferritima or D-lung, this is earthworm, and mori cortex, sung by P, to resolve it. So if you do overdose it, here's the antidote. It's, it's earthworm and sung by P, mori cortex. So um, interesting. Right there it says how to, to deal with it. Their commentary does, translates another uh, quote from a book. This book is Essays on Medicine, Esteeming the Chinese and Respecting the Western. So right there, you know this is a more modern Chinese, Chinese text. It has the most rapid power to travel and pierce. Internally in the organs, externally in the channels and collaterals, 
wherever there are places with congealed accumulation of chi and blood, it can unblock them. Its nature is particularly excellent for tracking down wind, internally treating the initial stages of stirred up liver wind or epilepsy. Dizzying, we haven't mentioned epilepsy, but epilepsy would be considered an internal wind uh, scenario. Dizziness, cramps and spasms, or children's umbilical wind. I have no idea what children's umbilical wind is. Externally, it treats wind stroke in the channels and collaterals, causing deviated mouth or eye and numbness of the hands and feet. That's some good commentary from Bensky and their team and translations. Chen and Chen says some texts suggest the head and tail are toxic and should be, should be removed, while other texts say they have the strongest functions. They say research has found that using the whole insect is the strongest clinically, and therefore there is no need to remove the head or tail. So that is where we're at modern days, is we do not remove the head or tail. All right, so that's the commentary. Let's step into preparations. There are lots of different preparations for this, for the herb. So traditionally, the insect is cleaned and dried and stretched on bamboo slats, and that's how you find it, is a thin, small slat with a big, long uh, uh, insect attached to it. In the past, the head was removed and legs were either removed or shortened. This preparation was referred to as heavenly dragon or tianlong or hundred legs baizu. Again, these are two alternative that we talked about names for wugong already. This preparation is no longer necessary as the head and legs are considered effective and the entire centipede is called complete scolopendra or chuan wugong. So this is interesting because both Chen Chen and, and Bensky refer to the idea of you know, getting rid of the head and, and potentially tail or legs, and both say that, no, that's not done. We found it's much better, stronger with the whole, whole insect. Unprepared wugong is considered toxic and should be used for the shortest amount of time possible and terminated as soon as there is a reduction in clinical signs and symptoms. Other preparations are possible. There's wine-prepared scolopendra or jiu-jir wugong, Sections of the centipede with the head and legs removed are soaked in yellow rice wine, covered briefly as the wine is absorbed, then baked dry at a low temperature. This reduces toxicity and moderates its violent nature, so it is good for patients with weak constitutions. In longer-term cons consumption, this reduces the chance of poisoning and enhances its clumping, dispersing actions. So if you're using it for a slightly different purpose, you know, then this is the way to use it. Uh, so if you're looking at those nodules, this might be a better way to do, to do it a little bit more long-term. Scolopendra head or wugong to. Uh, traditionally, centipede head was considered a powerful intervention for tetanus with its rapid onset of severe symptoms. If you're not familiar with tetanus, this is a, a um, we have tetanus shots as a vaccine, a uh, very deadly um, bug that's everywhere. And so if you cut yourself a bad cut, you can get tetanus into your system and it can basically paralyze you. And so this is a, a potential treatment for that. You can imagine in the old days, it was, uh, it's nice to have a treatment for this. Because all of the ingredients are very toxic, this should only be used in this extreme type of excess toxic chi attacking internally. That's that scolopendra head or wugong toe. Another preparation is scolopendra powder or wugong mole. The centipede is dry fried or baked until yellow and crisp ground into fine powder. It can be taken with water, made into pills, or applied topically, sometimes mixed with egg white or vinegar. Comparisons. So I told you we're going to compare, we're going to talk about scorpion, um, Scorpio Chuanche, and here we go. This herb can be compared with Bombyx batrytiticus, batri uh, which is by Jiangsan or silkworm. So silkworm has similar functions, and Scorpio Chuanche, according to Bensky et al. All three are important for expelling wind and stopping spasms. Bobbix batrytiticus, batrytiticus, by Jiang San, drains heat, expels wind, and transforms phlegm, while Scorpio Chuanche more strongly extinguishes wind and stops spasms. Thus, Scorpio is more effective for tremors of the hands and feet, twitching, and torticollis. Torticollis is that stiff neck and you can't move it. Scolopendra wugong is strong and violent in its action. 
is often used for opisthotonos, as we mentioned, convulsions and rigid spasms. All three can reduce swelling and disperse clumping. Baijiangsan tends to transform phlegm and disperse clumping to treat throat painful obstruction, while Chuanxie and Wugong both attack the toxin to disperse clumping and thus are used in the treatment of heat toxin sores or scrofula and phlegm nodules. Chen and Chen say both Wugong and Chuanxie both extinguish wind and rest tremors. Wugong is stronger in these functions as well as dispersing stagnation and dissipating toxic nodules and is more frequently used externally. Chuanxie is neutral and better for twitching and tremors and is more frequently used internally. I think what the, the bottom line here with Chen and Chen is if we're going to use Wugong internally, it should be for short periods of time. It's much more toxic. Brandon Wiseman compares Wugong with um, Sage Tartarise, Cornu, Lingyang Jiao, or Antelope Horn. Both treat fright wind and epilepsy with liver wind stirring internally. Yinyang Jiao treats the root and clears liver heat and stops liver wind. Wugong treats the tip and settles tetany to relieve the convulsions and not after the tetany has been resolved. So in other words, Wugong is, is, is treating the manifestation while Lingyang Jiao is, is actually treating the disease is really what we're talking about here. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, I, again, you know, the use of horns and these things are, are, I think, in the West at least, not as common uh, and are becoming less common with concerns about uh, the, the, the use of animals and, and endangerment of species, uh, things along those lines. I think antelope are far less. Um, the other thing, they, they rhinoceros horn is, an, I think, was the other one that they used potentially, and they're, those are endangered, so you can't use those anymore. So this is a, at least a good alternative to that, but I still would be hesitant to use antelope horn in this case. But All right. Now, combinations, um, there are some really nice combinations with this for very specific conditions, but the big combination is that Wugong and the Chuanxie, so that's scorpion again. So those are often combined. Both extinguish wind and powerfully relieve spasms. Chuanxie powerfully, that's the scorpion, powerfully extinguishes wind, while Wugong is more effective at tracking down wind. Okay, well, that's, that's an interesting terminology. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Both enter the liver and are mutually enhancing and very effective combination with a wide number of therapeutic uses from high fever with seizures to epilepsy, and swelling such as toxic swollen sores, scrofula, and enlarged lymph nodes. This combination can also treat stubborn migraines and pain from wind-damp painful obstruction. Wind-damp painful obstruction is sort of this rubric. It's um, painful obstruction B syndromes are this, these types of diseases that are, are called pain, or pain. But the wind-damp is often related to arthritis as we grow older, osteoarthritis and uh, and potentially you know, rheumatoid arthritis as well. So that's an interesting one. So can we treat, I have a question here, can we treat Parkinson's tremors or is it too toxic? I think we can. Um, I wouldn't use this alone in treating Parkinson's tremors. I'd be using it in a formula and I probably would not use it long-term or if I did use it long-term, I'd use it in a preparation that was not as toxic. So yeah, I wouldn't say this is, not something we'd use in Parkinson tremors. I just say we need to be a little circumspect about it. So, yeah. All right, the contents of this medicinal, there's a lot of them. So according to Bensky, Wilgong has a bunch of uh, constituents, including toxic constituents of hemolytic proteins and a histamine derivative, other constituents of formic acid and delta-hydroxycysteine. There's lots of fatty oils in it, um, I'm not going to list them. There's a bunch of them here, including cholesterol. Um, and Chen Chen adds hydroxylysine, taurine, chitin, chitosan, and glucosamine. So chitin is, and chitosan are going to be used in the shells of these. So that makes sense. Glucosamine, as you know, is, is good for joints. Uh, so that's an interesting one. Uh, there was a, a nice study by Hakeem Yang and Lai. Uh, from 2015, that found evidence that centipede venoms contain bioactive cysteine-rich peptides. So cysteine is, a, is an amino acid that builds up proteins. And several neurotoxins were discovered, including MU-SLPTX-SSM1A, 
which is a sodium channel blocker. So sodium channels are used a lot. And all of these channel blockers are used in nerves, so it makes sense. There's Kappa, SLPTX, SSMA, SM1A again. Kappa, which has all the same except it's 2A. And another one that has 3A, they're all potassium channel blockers. Uh, the 1A also is a calcium channel blocker, while the 2A appears to be uh, uh, also appears to be a calcium channel blocker. So there you go. There's uh, scolopin 1 and 2. Both appear to be antimicrobial. So that's another constituents of these. And, and there are s supposed to be some antimicrobial uh, properties to this. Chen Chen says it's used as an anti-neoplastic. So anti-neoplastic means anti-cancer. Um, the, the study that they looked at was in, in vitro, which means it's, it's not in humans, though there were some small studies that I came across, not, enough, not strong enough for me to put in here, that did show some anti-cancer properties. So, I, I mean, there's some real good question as to whether this will help cancer or not, but I think it's an interesting line of research and more of it's happening. It can be used as an antibiotic, antibiotic, so it's good for bacteria. And I think I also saw some evidence of antifungal and anti antiviral, so it has antimicrobial sort of aspects to it. It also can be used as an anti-seizure medicinal as well, which makes a lot of sense based on, on its Chinese medical functions. So some studies showed usefulness in various skin disorders. Um, this was interesting. It had an N of 600, which is a lot of people. It's from China, but there were all kinds of different skin disorders. So, I mean, there, there was a list of like five or six and then and more. So I don't know what skin disorders is particularly useful in, but there you go. Um, submandibular lymphadenitis, which is an, uh, an enlargement inflammation of the submandibular lymph nodes, the, the lymph nodes under your jaw. And this had an N of 226. Again, not a bad number of subjects. N equals number of subjects. Not bad. And then there was one study that they, they quoted uh, that said it was good for tuberculosis of the bone. But this only had an N of 10, which is a very small um, study. At least it's in humans but um, not necessarily statistically significant with that small n. Drug herb interactions. Several searches in scientific databases did not yield any obvious interactions with Wugong. In addition, several reference books, including um, the APA um, book, the American uh, Herb Producers Association, they have a fantastic large book on, on the safety of herbs, and uh, another one on herb and drug toxicities by Jens did not include this medicinal. So I, I, I would say that's probably more, I, I have a feeling if there's more research done, we probably will come up with some drug herb interactions, but the research hasn't been done because this is one of the more, it's, it's a much more obscure than, than most of the, the herbs in the, in the thing. So that's, my guess is there probably are some drug herb interactions. I'd be definitely looking at anticoagulants as a potential issue here, but there's no evidence of that at all and nothing in the, in the literature at all, so. So what are some concerns about this herb? So according to Bensky uh, and his team, Scolopendra is toxic and overdosage may cause poisoning with such symptoms as nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, diarrhea, fatigue, and general weakness. Yellow-colored sclera, sclera is the white part of our eyes. It usually indicates that there's jaundice happening when you have yellow-colored sclera, so some liver issues. Disorientation, bradycardia or slow heartbeat, and shock. High doses can cause death from paralysis of the heart muscle and respiratory paralysis, so you, you can't breathe or pump blood. Poisoning is extremely rare, however, as the toxin is not heat resistant. Heating for 30 minutes at 100 degrees C uh, or boiling temperature will destroy the toxins. So basically, if you decoct this, the toxins are probably destroyed for the most part. As a standard caution, they say the medicinal is toxic and should always be used with caution and never in large doses. And it is, for obvious reasons, contraindicated during pregnancy. Chen and Chen adds it's contraindicated in patients with blood deficiency or cases of chronic childhood convulsions. Now, that one I find interesting because it's supposed to be useful for childhood convulsions, but keep that in mind uh, as you're using this herb. They add palpitations, dyspnea, or trouble breathing, and unconsciousness to the signs and symptoms of overdosage. Those all make perfect sense given what it can do. Its use has been associated with tachyphylaxis. Tachyphylaxis 
is, um, I'm sorry, it's not supposed to be tachyphylaxis there. It's supposed to be anaphylaxis. Sorry, uh, different word. Uh, anaphylaxis, it, what it should do is actually cause, what it can cause is a serious allergic reaction. That's what we're talking about. So uh, this can potentially make, cause an allergic reaction, serious allergic reaction. That's it for this one. In our next exciting episode, we will be exploring another interesting category of herbs, nourish the yin herbs. We'll be explaining what yin is, and because you can't describe yin without describing yang, we will be looking at this complementary concept as well. After that, we will look at the herbs in this fascinating category, which has lots of implications for gynecological aspects as well as general health. Don't miss our next exciting episode. Please. Thank you for being there with us. Appreciate it. Uh, if you remember, when you buy from Amazon, please use the banner ad on our homepage. Uh, we get a few pennies. Uh, I can't say I've had any pennies for a while now, so it would be nice to have a little bit. Uh, if you like this podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. That would be fantastic, and we appreciate it. Thank you. And you can always get in touch with me at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com or at our website, www.spurbsherbs.com. And here's our bibliography. Again, thank you very much, and hope to see you again soon. Spurbs Herbs. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support, and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Timothy, Timothy Dobbins, Dobbins. Roger Campbell. Campbell.